Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Passive House Podcast. I'm Zach Semke, Director of Passive House Accelerator, and we're happy to be sharing a series of bonus episodes recorded in Hamilton, Ontario at the Passive House Canada Conference 2023. These interviews were conducted by Mary James, our Director of Publications, and Michael Ingui, our founder. A big thank you to Euroline Windows for underwriting this special series. Please enjoy. I'm Lois Arena. I am the Director of Passive House Services at Stephen Winner Associates, and I've been there for 16 years. And uh, you were part of a panel this afternoon that made an announcement about BPAC, the Building Performance Assurance, Assurance Council. Yes. Do you want to just briefly introduce what that concept is? Absolutely. Building Performance Assurance Council was set up to help scale up Passive House. Um, we have a bottleneck. For, for certification of projects in the country right now in North America. And in order for us to meet the demand of our programs and our codes, we need to change that system so that we can scale up exponentially. And BPAC is our answer to help making that happen. And um, are certifiers going to be part of BPAC, or you just BPAC is going to be sort of a governing body? Well, this is how I explain it. The certifiers actually equate to what is called a reviewer in the BPAC organization. So like normal, a consultant who's a passive house consultant will work with us to review their projects as we would sort of the certifiers would for PHI or for, and then um, we submit that once we're done approving it to BPAC, which would be sort of equated to PHI in that, in that realm, in that hierarchy. So it's kind of the similarity. So the reviewers are, taking place of certifiers, that, that term. Do you envision any changes at all to the standard to adjust to um, more typical North American um, considerations, such as, for instance, standard water heating load um, for European buildings is, it turns out, based on your data, yeah. different in North America. It is. We use probably twice as much domestic hot water in North America, not just the United States, in North America, than they do in Europe from, from what their data shows uh, and from what we have to assume when we're doing our certifications. Right now, we're not changing anything technical. We're not changing any of the thresholds, right? So any of the performance thresholds. So if you have to stay below a certain PE, the primary energy number, we're going to hold those numbers. And then as we gather more data, because one of the goals is to have this massive database of all of our projects that go through the BPAC program. And so based on that feedback from that data, we're going to make recommendations for perhaps modeling closer to what we're actually seeing in use. I have some anecdotal data, some like which I'm going to present this afternoon, which is annual, but it's monthly data. It's a little hard to tease out exactly what's happening, and it's only on like a dozen projects. So as we build that up, we'll be able to show the industry, here's really what's happening, here's how buildings are actually performing, our good buildings. And so maybe we would suggest adjusting things at that time. But we really need a more substantial database to do that. I understand on from the BPAC website that, you know, this database that you're talking about can you just elaborate a little bit on what the public would see in that database with your vision? Obviously, it hasn't been created yet. but It hasn't, and I think that's really, it's more, Craig has a much more clear vision of what he wants that database to be. At least what we want is policymakers and and people uh, part, uh, participating in any of the Passive House programs to be able to see 
where we have passive house projects, how big they are, how many square feet, what types of energy systems they have, possibly whole building energy use, but maybe not tied to a particular project for privacy reasons. Maybe what that would be is based on um, the size of the building, the type of building. Here are standard energy use intensities that we're seeing. So that so that owners and um, people who are you know lenders and financers can have an assurance that, okay, I can lend to that. That is like 50% less than what a standard building would use. I can actually underwrite that savings. So that's one of the things we're really hoping that the industry will get out of that data. Going to what you're going to present on later this afternoon. So you mentioned that you have, I think you said, a dozen case studies where you've been looking at actual versus model. Yes. And so I alluded to hot water differences. I mean, I've heard about this for years. This is not a surprising finding. It's not new. Um, uh, And also... Though that in senior housing, I understand that's not so true, that the um, hot water use tends to be less. Again, not another shocking finding. Right. I think, too, senior housing is there. We have only two in the, in the, in the database so far. We have many more on coming online. But um, they seem to use significantly less energy overall than, um, than there are other buildings. And if you think about it, there's usually one occupant per apartment. Um, in senior housing. In senior housing. They're not going to be cooking three-course meals, you know, or three times a day. They're definitely using less energy as far as water consumption goes. So I think it makes perfect sense. And our clients who have more senior housing that I've sort of approached and said, does this number make sense to you? And they're like, yeah, it looks, looks right. She goes, we think that they're just much more frugal. Plus, it's not just senior. It's affordable senior. So they're really budget-constrained. So I... It makes complete sense. It's not like the data doesn't make sense, but again, we need more points to really make that. Because in our assumptions for our modeling, we actually assume that they're home more often and they're running their appliances more often so that their internal gains are higher. But that might not be the case. (laughs) So again, this will be one thing where the database really comes in handy. Um, Yeah, I can see that. And were there other general trends from your looking at um, model versus actual? The, the, any of the buildings, so all of the buildings that I have in this data set right now had gas, domestic hot water central, right, central systems. And then some of them had gas for other uses. For instance, they used gas in the ERV for post heating so the air coming into the apartments wasn't cold. Or they used it in a section of the building, like there was a daycare in one of the buildings, and they used gas heat in that section of the building. Those buildings seem to have a higher energy use intensity. Because they're not using heat pump technology, you know, which has a higher COP. So, so that seems to be a trend. Um, but I think most of our, most of our buildings coming online, the only thing would be gas would be the domestic hot water. And that's not even the case anymore. I think, I think almost all of our buildings that are entering design or entering CDs right now are all electric. So the next set of data is going to be really, really interesting. And um, so the last question I wanted to ask you about is overheating, whether that's coming up as um, in your modeling. Is that coming up and affecting outcomes at all? It's not affecting outcomes. It's a reality in these multifamily affordable buildings that are pretty heavily occupied. But the reason is because in the swing, it's the swing seasons where the sun is lower in the sky and they don't have cooling. Because heating gets turned on at a certain time of year and it turned off at a certain time of year. They kind of need cooling 
sooner and later in the year than, than a traditional building, just because the amount of heat doesn't get out like it used to from a traditional building. So it's not that overall they're using more cooling because they're not, but it's, it's the length of the period. So the peaks are lower because the building's so efficient, but they need it a little bit longer. And so the, our, if they don't have an energy recovery system on their heat pump, which means I can use heating in my apartment, you can use cooling, if they don't have that ability, the heat's either on or off, then yes, they're having some overheating issues. And they, they can open their windows, but still, they're warm. You know, we really want everybody to know that we haven't figured it all out. We want industry input. Our main goal is to just hit attack climate change, right? That's our goal. And this passive house pathway has been recognized by the UN as one of the major pathways to do that. And so scaling up passive houses are like, is our focus. Um, I just have to bring up existing buildings before we close versus new construction. I assume that BPAC is going to be, you know, including those in the database and... They are. They for sure are. I think right now the pilot projects are, are new projects that are in there, but we have uh, practitioners who sat through the, the the meeting today and are like, I want my project, my NFIT project to be the first project in your database, you know? So people are really excited about that too. So yes, we will be accepting both new and, and existing. Great. Sure. Um, well, thank you so much for stopping by. It was really great to grab a few minutes of your time. Thank you for having me.